0: want to look at um, basically some of the ingredients or aspects or elements that make up joy. We've talked the last couple of weeks a little bit about joy and how the difference, such a difference between joy and happiness. Um, we talked about how happiness is something that usually with, within our control and circumstances and all that, and joy is something that truly the Lord uh, gives us, and we kind of came up with this definition Joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel of Christ being produced in them by the Holy Spirit because they receive and obey the Word of God while experiencing trials and keeping their hope fixed on the glory which is to come. And um, it's such a neat little book to go through the book of Philippians because it is such a, a, a joyful uh, book. And um, I think one thing that's missing in our. World today more than anything else probably is that deep-seated Christ-centered uh, joy. There's a lot of happiness around, but um, uh, not too much joy. So I just want to read verses three to six for us this morning, or three through eight actually, and uh, we're just going to be focusing on uh, three to five. But Paul says there, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get unhappy, don't we, in this world? Sometimes, um, you know, circumstances aren't the best, and that causes us unhappiness. But we really um, talked about the aspect that, that nothing can take away that joy that Christ gives us when he saves us. Um, that it's a gift from God to those who believe the gospel of Christ. And it's produced by the Holy Spirit. It's not something we manufacture. I can't give you five things here and say, here, go do these five things and go be a joyful person other than come to Christ. Uh, and I think that, that part of the, the chest of our, of our joy in our own life is how we deal with life on an everyday basis. And you think about Paul, the writer here, and he's saying that he's joyful, he's praying for them with joy, making requests of joy. And sometimes we forget a little bit about um Paul's circumstances. Paul was not sitting high on the hog, you know, kicking back in his lounge chair somewhere over there in the in the in the area. He was actually in prison when he wrote these things. He was under extreme hardship. And the joy that Paul was experiencing was not because of his immediate um, surroundings and and I think that that's kind of an important thing for us to know because true joy, I think true Christian biblical joy comes from being filled with the Spirit on an everyday basis and we're, we're called and we're instructed to be filled continuously not with wine but with the Spirit of God and that just means yielding control over Him on a daily basis, every day, wake up and say God, you know what, I'm going to give you this day do with me as you wish. Show me what you want me to do today. And then whatever circumstances you come across, they may make you a little unhappy, like I cut you off on the freeway or whatever it might be, but nothing can take away that joy if you have a proper perspective of it. Because the circumstances aren't the factor. It's what's in your heart. I think it's your nearness to God that really determines the joy in your life. I think that's a very biblical statement to make. Now, Paul, like I said, I mean, he knew that this joy was, he calls it, inexpressible at times. It's it's an abiding feeling of peace and calm in the midst of a storm that he's going through. And I think that the joy is there because of his relationship with the Lord, not because of what he's doing, not because of all these other things, but because of his walk with the Lord. Because I know that there's people here this morning that could attest to the fact that that you can be happy one day and depressed the next. Right? There's no, there's, you can't really grab that kind of a, of, a, of a feeling. It's it's just there, it's gone. You know, one day everything's going great, family's late, everything's good. And then, you know, the next minute, boy, everything's falling apart. It's like a wheel fell off the cart. And you're sad and you start to get depressed and all that stuff. Well, I don't see how when we focus on our relationship with the Lord we understand what He's done for us. That He's saved us. That He's He's made us a new creature in Christ. That all of our sins are forgiven. He's given us a, a message to share with a lost and dying world that works. It's not a message of no hope. It's a message of full hope. How you can understand all those things about who you are in Christ and still have no joy. That that would escape me. And when Paul here is filled with joy, he writes this letter to his these people that he loved so much, the Philippians. And when he begins to think about them, it's like this joy just kind of wells up out of his heart. And that's why in, in verse 4 he says that every remembrance of them produces joy. Can you say that about your relatives? I know like I can't. some not-so-good memories there. But here he's saying, I am so in love with these people and, and so filled with joy that every remembrance of you guys produces joy. And that joy is there in his heart because of his relationship with God. And it's just spilling over and it's touching those folks there in the church of Philippi. It was a real special congregation to Paul. Now, were they perfect? No. They weren't perfect, but there weren't really a lot of major problems among the Philippians, and that's why he can say there. You know, I thank God in in all my remembrance of you. I don't have any memories of you guys that are negative, is what he's saying. He did not seem to identify in the book any major problems. Some books you go through and they're pretty heavy books. They'd be hard letter to write to somebody. It's like that, dear John. You know, a letter you want to write sometimes it's like, Wow, oh, that's a hard letter to write. Well, this is this is a good letter. And in verse eight, just look down at verse eight there, where he says that I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Can you just kind of sense the love that Paul has for these people? Look at over in verse twenty five, a little further down, and he says, In being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you. For all your progress and joy of faith. So it's a very positive thing. Over in chapter 2, verse 2. Look at what he says about them. He says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. They had some needs, they weren't perfect. Chapter 4 talks about a couple of women who had needs, Europe and Sintik, and says, live in harmony with the Lord. Somebody helped those ladies get their act together is kind of what he says there. They had needs. Paul wasn't blind to the needs, but he also rejoiced in the fact that they had a certain level of commitment in their spiritual walk. And that gave him joy. They loved the Lord. They loved Paul. And they really cared for Paul, I think, with an unusual uh, just desire to see him Successful in the work of the Lord. They were continually sending him gifts of money to meet his needs to support him. They were generous with their gifts. Even though they weren't necessarily particularly wealthy, they gave abundantly to his needs. In fact, he tells him in the letter that you gave me more than I could possibly use. But that was the way they cared for each other. That was the relationship they had. And every time he thought about them, he rejoiced. Everything they did demonstrated their love, it seems, throughout the relationship. And so as he writes this, he's a prisoner in Rome. He's in chains. He's, you know, they heard about that because they wanted to kind of reach out and send him a, a gift of love or money. And remember, the bearer of the gift was Epaphroditus. And they, they sent Epaphroditus basically to him with instructions, And they said, you know what, give Paul this money to meet his needs and stay with him as long as he needs you to minister to him. And so it's, it's kind of a, uh, a neat scenario that's developing here. So they send one of their choice servants, Paul's personal servant, to bring a gift to them, to just give him an illustration of how much they love him. And Paul's response basically is, you know what? I have so much joy, don't worry about me. <laughs> Though I'm a prisoner, don't worry about that. That doesn't touch my joy. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. That's, I'm still filled with joy. And he doesn't want them to get so caught up with the circumstances that they become depressed and, and stressed out. And so he's writing them and he's saying, hey, everything's all right. This is where God has me. It's hard times. But this is where exactly where God wants me to be. See, because trials don't touch the joy that's, that comes as a result of a Spirit-filled life. Trials, in fact, actually give us deeper joy if you stop and think about it. If you never had any trials in your life, how would you know when things are going good? You wouldn't. So when the trials come, embrace them and say, Okay, God, I know I'm going to get through this. And, you know, just teach me what you want me to learn. You know, you come to these verses 3 through 8, and this joy just kind of spills out. just kind of overflows. And there's certain kind of elements here that Paul wants us, I really want, he wants us to see as we go through this. And these are something that's produced by the Spirit of God. It's not something Paul's sitting down saying, okay, I'm going to try to make this joy happen this way. But before we look at those, I want you to understand that you can't produce this joy on your own. You just can't. It's impossible. I was reading a commentary this last week, and they gave a illustration of this book. And the book basically uh, dealt with depression and uh, the commentator wrote it recommends that the way to overcome depression according to this doctor is 70 to 80 percent effectiveness. So if you're depressed, listen. It's through the use of amino acids and vitamin mineral supplements. And the author's theory is this, he goes on, he says depression is basically marked by deficiency in certain chemicals, blood, spinal fluid, urine, And a person in depression can be tested in these ways by the examination of their fluid and depression shows up in the chemical deficiency. These are identified as chemical markers for depression. Depleted chemicals cause a distorted function. And in the brain, she goes on to point out, he writes, there are certain neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are what passes information from one cell to the next cell. And when it can't pass that information, she says that creates depression. And so, these neurotransmitters are chemicals, and it says, are the chemicals released in the nerve endings in the brain when one cell is close to another, and they're essential for the brain to pass its messages and and, and data around. I think some of us have less of these things than others. But there's there's these different chemicals that are passed around in this thing, and the doctor goes on to basically... Say that when those are depleted, that goes along with depression, and that may be so. And she says that depression can be relieved then by replacing serotonin so and this other amino acid, and vitamin supplements, and mineral supplements. And it goes on, and, and you have to take B1, B2, B3, 4, 5, the 12, all these vitamins and stuff. And she goes down here, and at the end of this chapter, she says, However, telling point in the book, If you continue habitual negative thought patterns, you will severely undermine the whole treatment. If you continue severely negative thought patterns, you'll undermine the whole treatment. If you continue these habitual negative thought patterns. And the next paragraph says this. Persistent negative attitudes can lead to constriction and bondage. Whereas consistent positive thoughts and expectations create expansion and freedom. Someone has said we suffer because, still quoting, we don't see things the way they are, but as we are. And then she says, we can only learn to see differently by wanting to see differently. So in all this treatment that she's talked about in this whole book, basically, all the treatment does is help people who aren't thinking negatively. You can take all these things, but if you continue to think that negatively, the, the treatment's not going to help you. She goes on and she says, how do you reprogram your conscious mind to get rid of negative thinking? Here are a couple of suggestions. Here's what she said first one. Every time you have a negative thought, yell out, cancel. That's principle number one. You don't have to do that loud here if you're thinking negative thoughts. I don't want to hear somebody going, cancel of the service, but that's what she says. So if you happen, you know, in the next couple of months to find people going around, cancel, you know, you'll know what they're doing, okay? They've read this book. Secondly, She says, develop the art of creative visualization, which is to visualize yourself as Alice in Wonderland. Do sleep programming. Get a tape recording with a lot of positive talk and play it all night while you're sleeping. Listen to a lot of positive vibe music. Get exercise. Stop being focused on the future. Read some books. She tells you to read some books. And he'll teach you how to focus on the moment. You must learn to ignore the future. Release all your anger. That's another one. And then this cultivate a meaningful spiritual philosophy. Find a belief system that works for you. Anyone will do if it works. Avoid those that talk of sin and guilt. And the last point in her little outline of how to help yourself here was find the light within yourself. She read up... Yeah, really. Thank you. I was waiting for somebody. I thought somebody would do that. And she summed it up with a poem. It says, and remember, we are not here to experience mental and existential bondage. We are here to rejoice. And give and receive joy to see and experience the true essence, not superficial appearances. To perceive beauty, order, and harmony, not ugliness, chaos, and discord. To see color, to vibrate and flow with the rhythm of time. To germinate, come to fruition, and ultimately fade to be swallowed, then spewed into the next river of life. New energy, new form beyond our current level of reckoning with unwavering, gradual beckoning to cross the horizon of time. Exchanging dimensions, expanding, uniting, bondage. I don't know about you, but I'd say, Savior, fourteen ninety-five, on that book, I got a better idea. Follow Jesus Christ. Commit your life to Christ. He'll give you the Holy Spirit that gives you the joy that you don't have to deal with all this stuff. That's the the best the world can produce to deal with this depression and anxiety that's all around us. Kind of a weird way to produce joy. Well, it can't be done. You can't produce the kind of joy that Christ gives us. Only God can do that. Paul had the kind of joy that the Spirit put within his heart. And in the midst of the circumstance, he was able to say, hey, I'm filled with joy. Don't worry about my circumstances. And all we have to do is go to the Word of God. You know, I mean, why would we believe anything the world would say anyway half the time? It's, you know, Paul had the joy. Well, let's look at the first uh, element here or the first aspect or ingredient of joy that he was talking about. There in verse... He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You know, there's a joy of recollection. recollection, And I think that's what he's talking about here. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And every time he thought of the flipping, somehow he was just filled with joy. And I think that it's, it's so important that we understand that Paul had a, a, kind of an inventory, you might say, of his memories. And by the virtue of the Holy Spirit, he's able to focus on those that were positive and built him up. And so he says, I I thank God, my God, in all my remembrance of you. Everything he thought about these folks and put Philippi there gave him joy, gave him peace in his heart. They were a cause for him being thankful. That word, I thank, that's where basically the same idea from the Greek we get the word Eucharist and growing up in the Catholic Church I always say, well it's Eucharist you know Uh, well basically it has the idea of, of really a service of thanksgiving and so he's saying you know what my God I thank my God it's not the God or a God some impersonal God he's really celebrating the intimacy he has with his Lord and Savior with his God as he understands it. It's a personal thing. It's not a, you know, okay, you join, a, you, know, you come to a church and that makes you a Christian so you have a relationship with God. It has nothing to do with that. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about understanding who he is and who you are and why you need him on a daily basis. Why you need to be dependent upon him. So he's celebrating that communion that he has with his God. You know, I thank God that God's a personal God. And I was in a religion for 19 years of my life that it wasn't personal. You went and you did your thing, and then, you know, there was no connection between your life and your spiritual life. None. Because it wasn't personal. It didn't mean anything. He just went through the steps. Praise God that he's a personal God. And he cares for us individually, not even just corporately. He does that too, but individually. He knows where you're at this morning, what you're going through, what's on your mind, what are you thinking about right now. He knows it. What a wonderful thing. He's never distant. And he uses that phrase over and over again in his letters. First Corinthians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Philemon. Always, 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 I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, they weren't perfect. No church is perfect. They weren't without problems. There's some disunity issues that they were dealing with and some other things. In verse 27 of chapter 1, he kind of says, you you need to have one mind, be of one spirit, strive together. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, he says the same thing, talking about unity. In chapter 4, he kind of identifies there's some disharmony with some women in this. The uh, church, but that church still brought him joy. All churches fall short. All church churches disappoint their pastors, and, and their pastors disappoint their their, their folks and, and their leaders, and all sorts of things. Why? Because we're human. We're people. We're all people. We're all in it together. We're all on the same plane spiritually. We know the Lord. That's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on growing in our relationship with him. But every memory of these people caused him a, a delight. Now, what were some of Paul's mem- memories? You think of his ministry and you think of, you know, that, that Sabbath day when he went to the and he found some Jewish uh, woman there because there was no synagogue there. Not enough men to have one. And so he met a few Jewish women who were by the riverside near Philippi worshiping the true God and the tradition of their forefathers, it says. And then the Lord opened up the heart of a lady named Lydia. And she was saved, and the Bible says, and her entire household was saved. I bet you thought about that. The first converts in Europe, that gracious woman who is God's gift to his son, was God's gift to his son, the beginning of evangelism in a new continent. I bet you that was a kind of a positive thought for him to think on. Or the memory maybe when that demon possessed girl, whom Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sends out her demons, and perhaps was born again and too entered the church. We'll find out in heaven, the Bible doesn't tell us. And then there's the memory of that jail when they were uh, being stalked, you know, after his back has been stripped, laid bare, beaten. And they're in the darkness in the unit dungeon there, and they're just praising God. And God brings into that darkness an earthquake and breaks the jail open. I mean, what an incredible thing. And the jailer was converted to Christ and his whole household. And they they showed their tender love to Paul and Silas by caring for their wounds. Then there's a baptismal service. And it goes on and on and on. All the memories that Paul must have had. And I think it's it's kind of caught up in all this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And sometimes that's a good place to go. You can drive over to the coast and sit there and watch the waves and just think how God has blessed your life. Don't allow all the darkness and horribleness of this world to creep in and take that away. We need to make time to do that. We need to remember God's blessing. Well, he also says in verse four that he's able to intercede for these people. So there's a joy, not only here of recollection, of remembering things, but a joy of intercession. He says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. That's one aspect of joy that you never want to miss, the delight of praying for other people. See, when you're walking in the Spirit and you're filled with the Spirit and you're a believer and you're you're doing what God wants you to do and you're reading the Word, there's a joy when you you have the opportunity to pray for other people. All of a sudden, it doesn't become a task. It doesn't become, oh, I can't do this, you know. Because, I don't know about you, but praying is hard. It's hard for me. I just speak for myself. It's a hard thing to do. It's difficult. Because... There's nobody on the other end there answering you audibly. And sometimes it's difficult to stay engaged in that process. But God calls us to do that. He calls us to pray for others. I remember a couple of years ago when we decided, you know what, we're going to have a prayer time here at the church. We're going to have one Sunday morning, we're going to have one Wednesday night. I don't think they come. Doesn't make any difference. That's not the point. The point is we're going to have a prayer time. And as leaders of the church, we're expected to be here. Okay. And we continue that today. There's not a lot of people there. But you know what? The people that are there are making an impact in ways that we could never even imagine. Not because of who they are, but because of who God is. And there's a joy to come together on Wednesday night. Yeah, you know, you've got to get there a little early, 6.30, and, and, you know, before the Bible study. But what a wonderful thing to carve out just 30 minutes. And, you know, in reality, we maybe pray 20 of those 30 minutes. 20 minutes of your week to pray for the needs of others within our body, within our community, or whatever. There's a joy in doing that. There's a joy in, in sticking in there and hanging in there and making sure that that's a priority. And so Paul is is definitely interceding for those. And that's that's a result of his joy-filled life. It's a result of his spirit-filled life. He says the word that he uses for prayer, it's used two times in that verse. And it's the idea of asking God for something for somebody else. It, It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to God and just asking, you know, we don't come here Wednesday night and say, oh, you know, God, here, give me this, give me that. You know, that's not what it's about. It's about praying for others' needs. And that's an expression of His joy, His ability to do that, to share and and to to pray and to intercede on on behalf of somebody else. Because joy in the Holy Spirit isn't isn't bound up in what we have, but it's in the privilege of praying that God would pour out His blessing on others. That's what it's all about. True joy is the fact that, you know what, I can pray for somebody that's not even around me. I can pray for a family member and have God minister to them. That, that provides joy for me, even though I'm not there physically. Back in Pennsylvania, I can pray for one of my family members, and I know that God will somehow minister to them. Here, Paul's a prisoner. He's in very negative circumstances, not only physically, but also in terms of his ministry. I mean, can you imagine being called to do something? I mean, this is your passion. This is your lifelong ambition. This is all that you're about. And then you're put in a little cell, and you're saying, they're telling you you can't do that anymore? When we were down at the men's retreat, John asked this question. We kind of started off the thing, and introduced ourselves, and what is your passion? What do you, you know, and he kind of preempted it by saying, you know, we're all passionate about God and Christ and stuff. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, I mean, that's the an obvious answer. So I said, you know, it came to me and I said, you know, military aircraft flying or red lights, flashing red lights and sirens. Those things just, you know, I'm there. And uh, I don't know why, but, you know, something like that. And we all have those interests. We all have those desires, whether it's technology or whether it's cars or whether it's, you know, reading or or whatever it might be. And can you imagine just somebody saying, you know what, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. I'm taking that freedom away from you. You're not going to pursue that any longer. Well, that's the condition that Paul was in. But his spirit was filled with God's spirit and therefore produced a joy that he was able to put those, put those circumstances aside and not sit there and go, woe is me, as he studied his navel and say, gee, you know, I'm such a dire straits boy. I hope somebody gets me out of here. I mean, we could all do that. We could all look at our circumstances and sit around and whine all day long. I didn't do any good. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you're embracing those and you're saying, hey, you know what? I may be stuck here and I may not be able to do what I want to do, but you know what? I can pray for others. Nobody can take that away from you. We're going to find out a little later on in the chapter that people were really criticizing Paul. Without mercy and, and without kindness, I mean, um, and we're going to see that. There was actually rival preachers and people who had this animosity against him. But you know what? Even that didn't affect his joy. He continued. To be filled with the Spirit. He continued to minister even though he was confined. God opened up doors that he could meet the needs of those around him. You can tell if you're experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit when you find delight in interceding for somebody else. And you're praying that God would meet the needs for someone else. Look over at chapter three. In verse uh, Verse 16, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here he's he's kind of just reinforcing that. That It's not about our, our circumstances. It's not about our circumstances at all. He's rejoicing greatly in the fact that he can remember these wonderful things about them and he's rejoicing greatly in the fact that he has the ability to intercede to God because of his personal relationship for someone else. And then, verse 5, you also see there's a, a joy of, of petition. There's a joy of reconciliation there. The joy of participation, you might say. The joy of participation. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. In view of your participation or your fellowship, the word is koinonia, fellowship of the gospel from the first day until now. He's just rejoicing in that he has a partnership with them, that he has a fellowship with them. He's talking about their communion, their participation with Him in the ministry. He was thankful for that. He was grateful because they were believers. They served the same God. And He adds there, from the first day of your conversion until now. He was thankful for their fellowship in salvation. But since salvation, through all the years, through all these years have passed, they've been partners, they've been Fellow fellow believers, the fellowship with him that, that that united their hearts. Sometimes the word koinonia even refers to monetary contribution, giving money, that kind of partnership. In Romans twelve thirteen, Paul talks about contributing to the necessity of the saints, and that word is koinonia for partnership. In Romans fifteen twenty six, the same word, the contribution to the poor saints in Jerusalem is the word partnership. And basically, he's saying, you know what? I'm rejoicing with you guys because you're saved and you're a partner with me in the gospel. They'd given so much, so much. They he, he just was overflowing with the generosity. And He says, interesting enough, here that it's your, your 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 participation with me, not dealing with the money issue. He's not even kind of you know that's that's a blessing that he has, but he says participation in the what? In the gospel. In the gospel. He's talking about the whole the whole gospel uh, agenda, everything that goes along with it. He says, "I'm so so happy. From the very beginning, you've, you've been alongside me as I strive to share the gospel. And when the Spirit of God is reigning in somebody's life, when someone's filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is free to produce a joy, and that joy will come out of a, a fellowship with other believers." When I first got saved I went to I was going to college in out in uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania at IUP and went back to college after spring break, a believer. I wasn't a believer before that. And I didn't have somebody to come alongside of me and disciple me and that, that kind of thing and I was an RA in the dormitory and I remember sitting down there and reading my Bible and he gave me the Schofield Bible and I'm reading this Bible and people are saying, well, What are you doing? you know and so I told him, you know, it was real bold and and uh, one one person asked me, well, what, are you going to start going to church now? It didn't even dawn on me. It, didn't, it really didn't. It didn't even dawn on me. I mean, because I literally got saved, and the next day I was back at school almost. And um, I remember sitting there going, well, yeah, I probably should be in church. You know, So I remember getting a poem book out, and I didn't know anything about any churches. And there was this first Baptist church there, and uh, I can't remember the pastor's name, but a very conservative church just very, I mean, you know, they had the white tires or the white, you know, white walls around their ears and there. I mean, just eyes pies and everything. And I remember going there Sunday, and all that aside, you know what? I mean, I had a fellowship with those people. I got plugged in and started to, you know, help out and hand out little bulletins every Sunday and stuff. And there was just a joy in my heart for this life. I didn't have to be there. There was nobody in the dormitory saying, are you going to church? or you know, there was nobody calling me from home basically saying, trying to hold me accountable or anything. I could have done whatever I wanted. But because I was a believer, I wanted to be around believers. And sometimes I think we, we don't take, we take that for granted. We take for granted that we have a place here to come every Sunday and worship. We take for granted that we have a place on, even on Wednesday nights to come and, and learn study God's Word together and fellowship. We take for granted sometimes in the, in the summer months, do a little PR here, we do some picnics. You know, well, you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at that as, oh, man, here we go again. This is going to be a hassle. But you can say, hey, you know what? This is going to be fun. We're going to get together. We're going to share fellowship within the body of Christ. Yeah, there's a little work involved. But you know what? God's going to bless that. And that will give us joy. That's the kind of attitude we should have. And I'm just saying that we don't want to take that fellowship for granted because it's a gift of God to us. And he says there, you know what, their fellowship has been just incredible from the first day until now. You know, and I just want to say this morning that, you know, for the past seven years, you as a congregation have participated with me In the gospel. And I don't say that lightly. I can honestly go before God, and when I think of Grace Bible Church, it produces joy in my heart. And the reason it produces joy in my heart is because, you know what, I know that there's people there that love me. They care for me. They care for my wife. They care for my family. They provide for me, provided a home provided the means to do what God has called me to do. It doesn't have to be that way, beloved. That's a very gracious thing. But that's your participation in the gospel with me and I with you. And that's why I say we're all in this together. And I think that, you know, as we, we begin to just strive to do what God has called us to do. And you know what? Yeah, some Sundays the numbers are good, some Sundays the numbers aren't. I mean, I thank God almost weekly that I'm not a numbers kind of guy. Because I'd be probably reading that book about depression if I was. I'm just not. I know that God has called us to come together to pray, to worship Him, to teach the Word of God, and to fellowship. And I think if we just continue to do those things, and do them the way God prescribes them to do. You know what? Jesus Christ said he will build his church. And I'm not going to be one that competes with him. So if God says, hey, it's 50 people, Steve, praise God. If it's 500 people, Steve, praise God. Because it comes from the hand of God. I don't want to ever begin to manipulate into to do things that we could sit back and say well now are people here because we're giving them a dollar <laughs> when they come or are they here because they love the Lord you laugh there's some churches that actually do that but this fellowship that we share together William Hendrickson in his commentary on um, Philippians he uh, talks about our fellowship and that, I, I've listed them there, that it's a fellowship of grace. First of all, our fellowship is, it's not a natural partnership. It's not a platonic partnership or relationship. It's not a man-made relationship. It's not like you're going up here and joining the Elks Club or the Rotary Club or anything of that nature. We're not a man-made organization. No churches. It's a divine fellowship affected by God in Christ through the Holy Spirit by the grace by the spirit of grace and so it's a fellowship of grace apart from God this is non-existent you understand that? we don't have that partnership away from God it's also a fellowship of life because Christ hopefully has transformed each one of our lives we have that in common that's where we have our fellowship we're one with him therefore we're one with each other it's a fellowship of faith, Hendricks goes on to say. That Jesus Christ draws near to the sinner himself, and the sinner draws near to God in living faith. It's a fellowship of prayer. Fellowship of praise and thanksgiving and love. It's a fellowship of service. When we come together and we serve one another, we serve the body of Christ. It's a fellowship of evangelism. That we want to desire to see people who are lost and dying come to Christ fellowship of separation what do you mean by that I mean separation from the world and attachment to Christ that's what we're called to be as believers we're not called to be one with the world I just want to say be careful because you know the world has a way of just embracing it and pretty soon you know we got everything under the sun and the problem is it's not wrong with having nice things but the problem is, is when those nice things have you pretty soon, you know, you can't go to church Sunday morning because you got to stay home and wax your boat or whatever. See, that's the problem. Matter of fact, somebody said, I can't remember, I don't even know who it was, the men's retreat when we were down there in Pajaro Dunes at this beautiful beach house right on the beach. And uh, uh, I can't remember who it was. Somebody said, that was down there, they said, thank God I don't own something like this. I go, gosh, why would you say that, man? I'd, I'd love to have something like this. Just cause you probably wouldn't see me at all on Sundays. I'd be down here taking this all in. And I thought, you know what? That's so true. That is so true. We can't allow those things to have us. And lastly, it's, it's a, it's a uh, fellowship of warfare. We're all in this together. Side by side. God wants us to, to reach out and touch this community with, with a message that can transform people's lives not about growing a big church. It's about bringing people to the, the Savior. How's your joy this morning? We'll continue this next week, but as we close, how is your joy? Do you have a proper understanding of joy? Or is it all related to what's going on in circumstances? I pray that your joy would come from. one, the only one who can produce it. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that together we can tune in with you, the Lord, just as we bow our heads in silence here, as we close our service together. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would really produce that joy in us even today Father that you would put the floodlight on any sin in our life to reveal it that we could cleanse it thank you for your forgiveness I pray that this church Grace Bible Church would be the most joyful church in the world we're so rich God has blessed us so much We ask the Spirit of God to cultivate that joy of recollection to see people and remember the good things, the sweet memories. The people that have gone before us and really plowed the hard land, that we reap the reward now. I thank you for their faith. Father, we pray that God would Holy Spirit would produce that joy of intercession, that we would be delighted to pray for others. Rather than just point something out negative to somebody, that we would pray for them. And Lord, that we would have that joy over our participation that we share together. Father, we just uh, praise you for your goodness to us, your grace. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that hasn't experienced that joy, that doesn't know you personally, Lord, I pray that you would touch their heart even now, convict them of their sin. Lord, help them to cry out to you, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, it's a step of faith, but Lord, you'll you'll grant them that faith. Your Word says that. And Father, for believers, I just pray that we would live out this week under the influence of Your Spirit and not our flesh, and that we would expect great things because we serve a great and mighty God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, what we're gonna. To...